Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Josh and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. One reason I love CMYK is for the people that are here. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on a generous donation from our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more of those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Uh, I want to mention something. We've been kind of talking about it the last couple months, so I hope uh, this isn't too much a surprise uh, to many of you. Uh, But we have coming up next Sunday, on March 1st, this thing that we call a core community meeting. And this is an opportunity, and our hope is that we would see as many people here as possible. Uh, The idea is that um, where we are this thing that, yeah, I'm I'm a guy that has a microphone a lot and plays roles, and there's certain people that play some more prominent roles in different areas. Uh, Our hope and desire is that this truly would be a community. In other words, that everybody's voice at the table is represented in one way or another. And this is one of our best ways to see that happen, to invite anybody and everybody to come to the table. And even when it comes to thinking about kind of the future of CMYK and how we want to move things forward. Our hope is to see more and more diversity and voices around the table about what this thing is and where we're headed. And so that meeting is coming up next Sunday. We do it on Sunday afternoon, and we're actually changing locations because this is such a lovely home for us on Sundays. Uh, Dwayne has graciously allowed us to meet here. So it'll be at 1.30 p.m., next Sunday here at Craft Local. There is no kid care, just to kind of warn everybody. So that is different than the evening gatherings. We will be gathering next week as well. Uh, so, But we'll, you'll have plenty of time to go grab the kids, do whatever you need to do, and then come back, that kind of thing. But that's coming next Sunday, 1.30 p.m. We really, really hope you can make it. If you're somebody that uh, is planning on attending... Oh, um, and kind of like having a couple seeds of thought to go into the meeting so you're not kind of surprised by what it is that we're going to talk about. We're specifically going to be talking about this, uh, you know, idea and concept of CMYK and potentially where we see this thing headed in two years, in five years, and in 10 years. And we've got some specific things that we want to talk about when it comes to what that looks like. But if, if you like kind of stirring on things for a little bit, we'd invite you to not only be here, but to potentially stir around those things because we really, really hope to see all of you here next Sunday at 1.30. All right, uh, today we're jumping in, uh, actually we're continuing on in this series that we've been in for the last few weeks entitled Our Favorite Stories. And stories, for me, I think for many of us, it's a part of our humanity, are some of our favorite things. And one of the reasons they're some of our favorite things is it's like a gem that you can hold up and continue to turn and see different colors and different things through the different angles that you choose to perceive that thing through. And a story is a very, very similar thing. So many of us, 
potentially, hopefully, you've seen the film Parasite. How many of you have seen Parasite? It just came out, okay, only like three of you. This is gonna be an awesome illustration. Uh, but Parasite is this film, it just won Best Picture. I would highly, highly recommend you checking it out. Um, it's incredible, I'm so glad that it won Best Picture because it was one of my favorites from last year. But it's a film that you can watch and on the surface it can seem like just a thriller. You're trying to figure out what's going on, what's gonna happen to these people. But there's this subtext, there's a way that you can turn the gem and see something different, another color represented and all of a sudden it's having a conversation about class and capitalism and humanity and the way that we see and perceive each other and the way that we see and perceive ourselves in the world. It's a powerful thing. Or for many of us, maybe you saw the, a few years ago the movie The Dark Knight at Batman. Again, on the surface, it just feels and seems like, well, this is a superhero movie with a guy with pointy ears running around in the dark at night with a cape. Got some problems going on. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that look at The Dark Knight in particular and see that what Christopher Nolan was doing through that film was actually talking about terrorism and the way that we as humanity continue to respond to these threats and the different approaches that we can go and the different harm that we can bring to our responses in terrorism. It's an interesting thought. Or for me, I grew up and I loved this film. My parents hated that I wanted to see this film. It was banned from the Blakesley household. But for me, it just looked so funny. It had Robin Williams in it, a film by the name of Fern Gully. Anybody ever Fern Gully fans? Oh man, I love that film. But if you know anything about that film, it's not subtle at all. <laughs> but it is a very environmentally focused and conscious film talking about the way that we are destroying the environment and world around us. As a kid, it was just a funny movie with a cool bat that I knew was Robin Williams. He was the guy that played the genie and I was really excited about it. But there's something else happening when you turn the gem, you can see something else. Tonight I wanna talk about a story and I want to continue to turn the gem of this story and look at it in different ways. Because for me, the, the many different ways that I look at this story, the more and more fascinating and significant it has become for my life. And this is going to be challenging for some of you because many of us, we grew up with this concept that a Bible story is a Bible story is a Bible story. And all it is is all it is. Like, don't try to make it any more than what it is on the surface. And the reality is, whether it was Judaism in the Old Testament or the New Testament and interpreting these stories and ideas, these have always been the same concepts and ideas that we continue to turn and wrestle with and talk about and point at and wonder together that it would point us towards a more beautiful way forward. Tonight I wanna to talk about the story of this guy named Judas Iscariot. And I wanna particularly look at the story as it's told in the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 14. It says, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, so one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' inner circle, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So then a little later on in the story, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Jesus was still speaking, this Judas came, one of the 12, and with him, a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went to, up to him, up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi. And Judas kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. Now, many of us have heard this story and experienced this idea of a man, Judas Iscariot. And he's known as one thing within our culture. 
In fact, you could go outside of Christianity and you could go to many different parts of the world and bring up this name and this idea of Judas Iscariot. And there's going to be one concept and one idea of who he was. He was the betrayer. In fact, culturally, nobody wants to be called a Judas because we know what that means. I, that means I'm the guy that's betraying everybody else. I'm the guy that's be, betraying the, some, the person that should never be betrayed. That's the role that I'm playing. And this is how Judas has been seen for century after century within humanity because of these stories within the Gospels. Tonight, I want to look at this story and ask the question, okay, what's happening with this? Because there's a lot of different things taking place. Why would Judas do what he did? There's a lot of different explanations. The Gospel of Matthew explains that Judas was driven by greed. He wanted money. And so because of his desire for more money, he went to the religious leaders and he basically sold Jesus for money. But then you look at the Gospel of John or you look at the Gospel of Luke and there's something different. It wasn't because of money. It was because in Luke or in John, excuse me, it's because Satan enters his heart so it was Satan's doing. It was the devil that got him. But in the Gospel of Luke, it's just a demonic presence that influences him. And all of a sudden, he is known as the betrayer. In fact, Scripture does a great job of communicating what ends up happening with this betrayer. This is in Acts chapter 1. It says, Now this man, or Judas, he acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called, in their own language, Akaldama. That is, field of blood. What's happening behind this? The scriptures seem to do a job of communicating, okay, this guy Judas, he got his just dessert. There is divine retribution that has taken place that he has fallen into a field and his guts have spilled out. The storyteller is communicating, this is a gruesome death because this man deserved it. He was the betrayer. I find it really, really fascinating that, again, for many of us, this is all we perceive and see Judas to be. Just a man who wanted money, who's influenced by the devil, demonic influence, but for some reason, he just betrays Christ. But what happens when we begin to turn the gem a little bit? There's this moment that happens in the book and the gospel of John that I find really, really fascinating. We actually looked at it last week, and it says, after saying these things, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, these 12 guys. It says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus is forecasting what's about to happen and what's coming. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter, Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Jesus, who are you talking about? Who's this guy that's going to betray you? So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Now, if everybody was smart, they should have just booked it. Nobody was hungry anymore. Like, we're full, we're fine, nobody wants anything. But what happens? And so when Jesus had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you going to, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. No one, now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. 
Now, I want you to do your best to try and picture this scene. Jesus is sitting there, and he says, someone in this room is going to betray me. Someone's going to do the unthinkable, the unspeakable is going to happen, and it's going to be because of one of you in this room. And someone raises their hand and says, ah, uh, how, how are we going to know who this is? And Jesus is really clear. He's not vague. There's no coded spirituality to any of this. He's very, very clear. I'm going to dip a morsel in whoever I hand it to. That's going to be the guy. And so he dips it, hands it to Judas, and everybody in the room should know that's the guy. Judas has found out. Everybody knows what's coming. Everybody knows that he's the betrayer. And here's what I find fascinating. Most of all, Jesus knows. And Jesus seems to know this even in the Gospels before Judas knows what's coming. It's a fascinating picture. You turn the gem, and all of a sudden you see that Jesus, he's dealing with this guy that he knows is going to betray him. If we take the scriptures at their word, there is this work of Christ to identify this man, Judas, to invite him to follow him so that he will betray him so that for the rest of human time, we continue to point at this name of Judas as a guy that is a betrayer that Jesus knew. It's like bringing an alcoholic a bottle of wine and saying, here you go. At some point, is there not this question of what's Jesus doing here? That he, he would be the one that sets Judas up in some ways to fail. If he knew this, wouldn't he never ever pick Judas? Like he's gonna be tempted. He's gonna be, don't bring in the bottle of wine, just he's gonna be tempted. If he knew what was gonna happen, wouldn't he build Judas up? Like, hey Judas, there's gonna come a time and there's gonna come a moment where you might, might possibly be tempted to betray me. And so just hold strong, buddy. No, <laughs> Jesus just goes, yeah, this is gonna happen. And he almost invites Judas to move forward with it. Now, the Christian narrative and story is one that this happens, this betrayal takes place in order that a larger narrative happens. That Christ would be arrested, crucified, and the resurrection would take place. But it's a fascinating thing. What happens when you turn the gem? What if Judas is not the betrayer? But what if we're honest and we look at this and go, was he the betrayed that he was invited into a story. I mean, you look at the way his life ended. Nobody wants their life to end it. You, you look at this story and all of a sudden, Judas, was he betrayed? Was he invited into something that he never wanted? Or possibly another way to turn the gem and see this story. What if Judas is found as the believer? One of the things that's known throughout the New Testament, particularly in the time of Jesus, is there were these different groups of Jews known as zealots. And they were political revolutionaries that wanted to see Rome taken over. They did not like being under the foot of the Roman Empire and Caesar. And so these zealots were known as men that would go around trying to stir up the crowds, trying to gather people to their cause. They had blood on their hands because of what they were doing. And they are continually found trying to be politically motivated in what they want to see happen. And what we know is that a good chunk of the followers of Christ were, were looking for this kind of revolution to happen. They were hoping and believing that Jesus, as the Messiah and as the Christ, would be someone that would overthrow the Roman government and make things the way they wanted it to be. On top of that, Judas and this uh, Iscariot word that's given to him, 
Yes, there's this connection to a family, but there's also many scholars that would point that as Iscariot, and they would tie it back to a specific sect of zealots. And so there's this thing, potentially this undercurrent within the scriptures that Judas is known as this zealot that wants to see political revolution take place more than most. What if Judas truly believed that Jesus needed to confront the Roman government He needed to be pushed in such a way that he would be able to, Christ would be able to take on and see the revolution that everybody was hoping for. And so Judas is this believer in the cause of Christ, believer in what he thinks is gonna happen. And so he sets up this moment of betrayal, yes, but it's this betrayal, this belief that, okay, this is gonna happen, and then Christ is gonna go Superman mode, and everything's gonna take place the way it's supposed to take place, and everything's gonna be perfect. And so this is what Judas is doing in his belief. In fact, you look at this moment in the garden, if you've read this story, Judas uh, betrays Christ, What's the response of his followers? Someone grabs a sword. This is it. This is the revolution. Freedom. And all of a sudden they have kilts on and they're running around trying to attack the guards. This is truly the picture that they take up a sword because they believe this is the moment that Christ has been all about. Obviously, this is not what Christ was about. And Christ stopped the violence and he ends up being crucified on a cross. Now, here's what I find fascinating when we turn the gym and we see this story. The response of Judas after all this is done. This is before Christ is crucified. It says, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, so he saw he was guilty and condemned to die, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, he went away, and he hanged himself. There's a potential, you turn the gem and you see that here's a man who believed in something. And he believed that his actions were gonna cause something good, true, and beautiful to take place. And then Christ is condemned and he realized this story, this path, this idea that I was hoping for, it's not happening And so he feels so guilty because everything that he tried to stir up and and take place is no more. And it's out of guilt that he simply does this. What if Judas is simply a believer? It's the power of story to see it through all these different lenses. But there's one for me that I find most fascinating of all. And it comes to us particularly from the gospel of Mark. Immediately before this moment where Jesus, which we started out reading tonight, this moment before Judas goes to the high priest to betray Jesus, we see this story told. It says this. It says, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, this is Jesus, the leper, he, Jesus, was reclining at a table. And a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. 300 denarii, just so you know, one denarii is one day's wages. So a year's worth of wages. Think about the possibility of you taking your year's worth of wages, an entire year, and just choosing to dump it on the floor. This is the act, this is the scene. And everybody in the room is looking at, they know how expensive this perfume is, and they know the act that's taking place. You just dumped it on his feet. Like you could have sold that. 
We could have solved this problem. And everybody in the room, if they're responding to the teachings and the life of Christ up to this moment, would be responding with, hey, we got to care for the poor. We got to care for the sick. We got to care for the hungry. Why would you do this? That's a huge deal. We could have done something huge with that. Again, a whole year's worth of your wages. I don't care what you make. A whole year's worth of your wages invested in seeing these problems that Christ continues to talk about actually move forward with. And so everybody in the room is responding, honestly, responding appropriately to everything Christ has taught and done up to this moment. Even us in this room. Yes, of course that makes sense. But if you know the story, Jesus has a different thought. It says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So Jesus takes this scene in this moment where everything in us would say, okay, Jesus, all of your teachings point to, this is, this is what should happen. S- sell everything you have, quoting Jesus, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Why would this not happen in this moment? And Jesus seemingly invites this sort of betrayal of that idea and that belief for something bigger that's about to happen. That Jesus knows what's gonna take place. And so it's because of that, that this woman is applauded and celebrated for betraying this idea that Jesus himself instigated. No, there's something bigger here. So don't worry about that, the 300 denarii. There's something bigger here happening. Now, here's what's crazy and fascinating about this. These are the words directly before this happens. Ends in verse nine, verse 10, it picks up. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. This woman betrays an idea, a belief, a concept that Jesus puts out for the sake of something bigger. And this is the story, and these are the words directly before Judas leaves the room to go betray Christ. There's some interesting questions that come up about this. How did this woman know that Jesus was about to be crucified, that she would do this? What, what, what instigated something in her? And why is this story the catalyst for Judas to then go and do what he did in betraying Christ? Why would the gospel writer point, pair these two things together? Is the potential that there's something else happening here? That Judas sees this act of betrayal and Christ applaud it as there's something bigger happening here. And then some scholars have even asked, is there potentially an off the books, off the record conversation where Jesus and Judas talk about there's a bigger thing happening here. And so there's going to be a betrayal, yes. But rather than being the betrayer, the betrayed, or the believer, what if Judas is simply the obedient? That behind this act of Judas... Behind his betrayal is an obedience to something bigger. Again, the story goes that if these things don't happen, and if Judas doesn't betray, Christ is not crucified on the cross, the resurrection doesn't come, Christianity doesn't have the roots and the expansion that it has historically. So there's a moment of betrayal, yes, but it's out of that moment of betrayal that we see this bigger thing happen. This is a concept and this is an idea that 
if you want to explore it deeper, I love the way that uh, one of my favorite authors puts it. His name is Peter Rollins. He calls it the fidelity of betrayal. That what if there are moments and times in our life that we hold on to a belief, we hold on to a concept, this is the right way to do it. We know that this is the right way to do it. This is the best way to go about things. But what if there are not moments that Christ, the narrative of Christ, would invite us into to say, okay, I know that that's a good idea and concept, way to go, you got it. But for the sake of something bigger here, maybe you need to betray a belief. You need to betray an idea that you've held on to so tightly for so long for the sake of something bigger, something grander, something more important taking place. I love um, the way the philosopher uh, Slavoj Zizek puts it. He says, in all other religion, God demands that his followers remain faithful to him. Only Christ asks his followers to betray him in order to fulfill his mission. To look at the story through these different lenses and to land on this concept and this idea, is there something known as the fidelity of betrayal? I grew up in a home, and I think many of us did, that having these tenets of belief and holding on to them for dear life and never wavering from them and never seeing any sort of different thought, idea, politics enter your mind because this is what we know that we know that we know that we know. But then here are some stories where Christ is potentially inviting and saying, there's something bigger happening here. And the goal and the hope is to see this bigger thing happen independent of just holding up an idea or a belief. I love the way Peter Rollins, um, this is in his book, Fidelity of Betrayal. He, he tells this story. This is fic fictional, just so everybody knows. But he tells this story about Judas. He says, early that evening, while the other disciples were busy preparing for the upcoming feast of unleavened bread, Judas fell into a deep and unexpected sleep. And as he lay there without moving, he received a vision of the future. In this vision, Judas saw himself with the other disciples as they shared a Passover meal with Jesus. And during the meal, he could hear his master speak solemnly about his own death while breaking bread and pouring wine. Then the vision progressed and Judas saw himself secretly meeting with the chief priests and agreeing to hand Jesus over to them. The, vi the vision continued by showing Judas kissing Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, followed swiftly by the arrest, trial, torture, and death of Jesus. Yet the dream did not end there. Instead, Judas went on to witness his own sorrow and remorse at his acts and to witness firsthand his own suicide. This was immediately followed by a deep pain as he was confronted, don't miss this picture, as he was confronted with wave after wave of condemnations and judgments aimed at him throughout the ages. Yet in his vision, he also witnessed the resurrection and ascension of Christ. He saw the spread of Jesus' message, its victory over the forces of Rome, and the way in which it transformed the lives of countless millions. When Judas awoke from the dream, he remembered some words that had been spoken to him by Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he woke up from the dream and went to betray Christ. Now, obviously, it's fictional. 
We don't know that that happened. But here's what I love about that story. Judas was awoken to a vision and awoken to an idea that was way bigger than himself. And he was willing to die to his own beliefs, die to his own image and how people viewed him and saw him and betray those things for the sake of this bigger vision and idea. I believe, it's why I'm here and why we do this thing called CMYK, that Christianity at its core is a bold vision. It's a bold vision that works to see, embrace, and love everyone on the same level independent of their sexuality, independent of their politics, independent of their past, independent of where they currently are. I believe in the bold vision of Christianity that there are no needy people among us, that everybody has their needs taken care of. I believe in the bold vision of Christianity to continue to see a world that is moving forward and how we continue to give more and more of ourselves, not just gather, gather, gather more and more to store away in whatever kind of storage we want to find. Christianity for me is a bold vision. But it's in this bold vision, potentially, that we may come to a crossroads like Judas. We may come to a crossroads like this woman with the, woman with the perfume. And we may have a belief, an idea, a thought about this is the way things should be. But what if Christianity at its core is dying to self and potentially dying to a belief, dying to an idea for the sake of this grander vision? To hold our beliefs in our hands in, in a loose fashion and say, okay, I believe this, but maybe this belief has not actually seen that thing happen. And to understand the propensity for all of us to just get really comfortable with the beliefs that we hold because this, this, this is what we hold, this is what we got, this is what's right, that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know. And meanwhile, we live in this comfort and we're not potentially seeing this grand vision happen. I believe that the message and the story of Judas is potentially turning the gem in such a way to ask ourselves the question, are there beliefs potentially that we might betray for the sake of this grander vision? As we close tonight, there's a couple questions that this story continues to stir in me. Over the last few years as I've wrestled with this, um, and I gotta be honest with you, I, I read this book a few years ago and I wanted to like talk about it right out of the gates, like here we go, but then I was like, ah, I don't know. People are already wrestling with this thing called CMYK. This just might run everybody off. Like, don't worry about your beliefs, betray them all, you're good. That's not the talk. But the more and more that I sit on this stuff, these are the questions that I continue to come back to. Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I hold on to the belief that I hold on to? Was it something that was just handed to me? Was it something that I've seen, that I've experienced? Was there a spiritual, potentially experienced, something resonated and we knew, okay, there's something more here and so I'm gonna choose to believe this? Why do I believe what I believe? And there's a reason that I would ask that question because then the next question needs to be and has been for me the last few years is am I seeing the fruit of these beliefs? We live in a culture where Christianity is a set of stated beliefs. Hold on to these things. Don't let these things go. And we must ask ourselves the question, 
Are these beliefs, are the beliefs that you hold actually seeing this grander vision take place? Are you seeing the fruit of these kinds of beliefs or are you simply holding on to the beliefs for the sake of, well, no, this is the way it always is supposed to be. Meanwhile, this grander vision, whatever it is for you, is not actually happening and taking place. Which then leads to, are you willing to betray a belief for the sake of fruit? This is the question that I've continually come up against in the last few years of my life. Am I willing to betray, potentially, to die to self, to die to image, to die to how other people view and see me for the sake of seeing this grander vision take place? And this is a difficult question to ask. But what if the story of Judas and the story of Christ is one turn the gem and you see, no, there's actually an invitation here because there's something far bigger happening here than whether or not you know that you know that you know and you always check the right box, but that you're willing to see these bigger things happen. And then last but not least this evening, I would ask, so then what are you actually creating in your betrayal? This is probably the most prominent thing for me right now because it's easy, and just knowing a lot of you in the room, it's easy to find our lives in this place where we might have grown up with a set of beliefs or a set of ideas, and we come to this place of deconstruction. We come to this place of, yeah, I'm willing to betray that for the sake of something bigger. Bring it on. Let's do it. Burn it down, baby. Come on. I'll bring the torches and the fire and the gas, and we'll get this thing done quick. And there can be this tendency sometimes within deconstruction to believe that this is what the work is. But the thing that I hope that all of this is pointing towards is not this idea that, okay, it's okay to potentially betray your beliefs for the sake of something bigger, but the concept of, okay, okay, maybe that is a part of the story. Maybe it is a part of dying to yourself. But then are you actually creating something? Are you actually doing something? Because what I know and what I love about this community is the propensity for people that are in a state where they're willing to betray their beliefs or to step into deconstruction, whatever language you want to use, the propensity for us to just become like internet trolls. There's a lot of church trolls out there that all they do is just bash on faith and belief and spiritual communities and these ideas. And all they can do is just belittle, 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 belittle. And if that's where they're at, okay. But my question is, okay, that's fine. That's fine. You can deal honestly because there's a lot of brokenness. But what are you actually creating then? You, you maybe left something, you maybe burned something down that was destructive. Okay, way to go. But now what are you actually creating and building that would point towards why you burned this thing down in the first place? And so for me, this is the question that I have to keep coming back to. Am I actually creating the thing that I did the betrayal for? Tonight, we come to this table and we'll leave these questions up on the screen and the invitation would be for you to potentially process these ideas, to turn the gem and see the story in a different light. And then maybe the story of Judas is not just about a betrayer or being betrayed. Judas is not just about a man with a strong belief, but potentially an invitation to say, okay, there's obedience sometimes to say no and to betray our own beliefs for the sake of something bigger. What is that bigger vision? And what potentially would you need to betray to see it happen? We're going to play a song and invite everybody, all are welcome, to come to this table, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and receive. It's a remembrance of the same moment that Christ talks about, his body broken, his blood poured out, 
that we are a part of this same kind of sacrifice in giving our life. Whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward. My hope, my prayer for every single one of you tonight is that there is a, a bigger vision, a bigger idea, something that you can really lean into and believe. And whatever that is, that you would be somebody that's actually seen the fruit of that belief. And that you see and know that you're in a space and in a community, part of a church, that welcomes the betrayal. <laughs> that welcomes it to be present, to be fully honest with whatever's going on. But then to be open to building and creating something more, whatever it may be. So may you be somebody, I hope, that is able to find that bigger belief, whatever it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I, I really, really hope that you can all make our core meeting at 1.30 on Sunday. If for whatever reason you like a good email reminder, we'll be sending one out this week. And if you don't get our emails right now, you can sign up for that uh, at the banner section when you first walk in. There's some tables. There's a sign-up clipboard that you can do there. Other than that, if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. We will be gathering next week as well. So we got the core meeting and then the 5 o'clock gathering. So sure love you. Feel free to hang out for a while. And we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can figure out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.